Hi, this is Dr. Mike Chupp, and you are listening to CMDA Matters, the weekly podcast of the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. Well, one of the four main key areas of ministry within CMDA is equipping, as we focus on specifically equipping you to integrate your faith into your practice. And one major way we're able to do that is through CMDA ethics statements, which actually now number more than 90 statements that address a variety of bioethical issues. These are concise statements, and they're articulated in a compassionate and caring manner. We regularly hear from our members with encouraging feedback that these statements are incredibly useful and they're beneficial as our members practice. Well, on this week's episode of CMDA Matters, I've invited Dr. Paul Hayner from our Ethics Committee to join us and to discuss the newest release statement from the committee, which is entitled, Disagreement Among Christians on Bioethical Issues. Paul was the lead author on this statement, and he's here to share more about how the committee followed the Spirit's leading to develop this new resource for our members. This guiding statement will be so helpful in the setting of Christian healthcare practice. And I think it's going to be a wonderful guide for pastors and churches and lay leaders and other organizations when dedicated servants of Christ disagree about the critical issues that they face. I want to thank you for listening today. And let's jump right into that conversation with Dr. Paul Hayner. Well, today on CMDA Matters, I want to begin our interview by just mentioning that the topic of bioethics is an area fraught with seeming landmines masquerading as subject matter. How do you discuss or debate such topics as the determination of when death occurs or allocation of scarce resources or assisted reproductive technologies, and at the same time, demonstrate that you care for the person with whom you disagree? How do we disagree in ways that honor the person with whom we differ? Well, today on CMDA Matters, I've asked a couple of our ethics committee for CMDA members to join me, one of which is my regular co-host, Dr. Jeff Barros, our senior vice president of bioethics. Uh, Welcome to the program, Jeff. Glad to be here, Mike. Thanks for inviting me. And joining us today as a friend of yours from the ethics committee, Dr. Paul Hayner. And... uh, Let's just say Paul's CV bio is quite long, and we'll have it on our show notes today, but schools like Johns Hopkins and Reformed Theological Seminary, uh, University of Virginia, and a long list of academic appointments only just start scratching the surface, uh, Dr. Hayner, of your CV. And an old friend of mine who's gone to heaven, uh, Bob Schindler, used to say, you know what, if I was half as smart as that guy, I would be incredible. (laughs) (laughs) So thanks for joining us, Dr. Hayner, as both an anesthesiologist practicing at Dartmouth and a PhD theologian today. Welcome to CMDA Matters. Thanks, guys. It's good to be here, and uh, thanks for that kind introduction. I hope I live up to the expectations. Uh, You you will. And I just wonder, where in your career did the whole idea of pursuing theology training come? Was it even before you got into medical school, or as you were uh, helping people sleep during their procedures, you thought, I want to pursue theology? Yeah, everybody said, um, you know, there's the old joke, what's the difference between an anesthetist and an ethicist? 
and one puts you to sleep for a couple hours and the other one's a medical specialty. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Never heard that before, Paul. (laughs) No, I, I, my interest, um, in ethics, theology, uh, and those subjects, I, I think really goes back even before medical school during college. I actually took a second major aside from biology in a program at Johns Hopkins called the History of Ideas, which included philosophy and ethics. And as part of that program, I was strongly influenced by an evangelical Christian professor. And this at Johns Hopkins taught in the area of the history of Christianity. So early on, even during my anesthesia residency, I began taking individual seminary classes and became involved with the ethics committee at Johns Hopkins. I also became an ordained elder in the Presbyterian Church in America, developing a church officer training course fairly early on, I think, before I even finished my fellowship. When I went into private practice for a short spell in Missouri, I worked with the Midwest Bioethics Center in Kansas City uh, and became chairman of my hospital's ethics committee, IRB, and the pastoral care department. And it was at this time, I I think, that I was invited to join CMDA's ethics committee. And that was about 30 years ago Mm, Wow. with uh, uh, Bob Scheidt. At that time, there were no real bioethics programs, not like the sort of cottage industry that exists today. Uh, except maybe one of the very first at Trinity University under Nigel Cameron. And I took some of their initial classes when they first formed, but really wanted a a deep training in Christian theology and ethics. So I, after a long discussion with my wife, my wife, we um, sort of pulled up the anchor and left my practice and we moved to Jackson, Mississippi to attend seminary. From there, we went to the University of Virginia, where I did my graduate work in theology and ethics under Jim Childress, a name you might remember from Childress and Beauchamp publication, The Principles of Biomedical Ethics, which is sort of a standard textbook now. Mm-hmm. And it's, I don't know, 15th printing or something. It's amazing. It wasn't easy during that entire time. I was balancing a busy academic medical career at the same time as I was uh, doing the master's and and doctoral work in theology. Sort of interesting things happen along the way. Many people don't know uh, that Jim Childress is that while he's very noted for his work in bioethics, obviously, he's primarily a theologian and uh, uh, very good in the history of theology. So during my seminary and graduate school, I kind of fell in love with systematics and historical theology. And uh, my dissertation research actually ended up being a historical theology project on the covenant theology of Jonathan Edwards, the 18th century American Puritan pastor and philosopher during the first great awakening. So for me, bioethics as a discipline uh, was simply combining my theological training to current medical issues that I was dealing with every day in the hospital and the laboratory. Or you could say that I I define bioethics as simply Christian sanctification applied to medicine. Well, Paul, over the course of about, I guess, 18 months from 2021 to just May of this year, you were the lead author on a white paper that was produced uh, in concert with the Ethics Committee that are 
recent Board of Trustees accepted as an official CMDA position. And the title of the paper is Disagreements Between Christians on Bioethical Issues. And the final step in the approval process was the review and acceptance by our House of Representatives in late April at our national convention this year. So uh, my question to you is, why did you personally volunteer to handle this, some people would say a very difficult topic, as lead author for the Ethics Committee? Well, the simple answer is, I didn't volunteer. (laughs) Um, There was a gun to your head, I guess. uh, Yeah. Well, actually, I wrote this initially to be a much larger internal working guideline document for our ethics committee. At the time, there were a few issues that our committee was confronting that were becoming, well, quite contentious. There were members of CMDA that disagreed with conclusions reached by our ethics committee and wanted to have revised or even dual statements supporting both sides of an issue. Uh, My concern was that much of this was becoming very emotional and argumentative without real clear ground rules on exactly why and when we would have differing official views within CMDA. Each of our statements contained sections grounding our conclusions in, in scientific, biblical, and ethical reasoning. What I thought we needed was a clear statement on how our ethics committee would adjudicate differences by what specific criteria of biblical and moral reasoning we are to use to make it clear when, like one, we cannot and must not lend support to an opposing position, when the concern for unity must not trump moral truth, and two, when it is appropriate to see when there are legitimate differences between Christians that should be respected. In other words, when to agree to disagree, and when those issues should not threaten our unity. In neither case should this challenger call into question our mutual love and respect for one another. I thought it was important that we as an ethics committee set down the objective criteria we are using to make these distinctions so it would be very clear. This is somewhat countercultural in a way. Our current culture has come to equate differences in opinion on many issues as hate, and there's pressure to always have an opinion on everything. Somehow, if I disagree with you on an issue, I must quote-unquote, hate you. Well, Now, the Bible admonishes us to love our enemies, and an enemy is certainly someone we disagree with, sometimes even vehemently. The Bible is therefore commanding us to love those we may most vehemently disagree with. Love and disagreeing are not antithetical. To disagree is not necessarily to hate. Uh, Indeed, to disagree with others can be an act of love and lead in the right direction toward knowing truth more clearly. Proverbs 27, 17. So, and even Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11 that disagreements are sometimes necessary at times for the sake of truth. Because truth matters, disagreements matter. You know, I think we've come to this state of affairs because we live in a, in a relativistic postmodern culture with no common ground for moral reasoning. Without a common moral vision or, or even the means to reason morally, the only thing we have left in our is our individual desires and emotions. We've come to a state of moral emotivism. Our desires and emotions, which are exhibited primarily as, well, anger, hate, desire for power. 
And it's these things that are having really tragic consequences for the fabric of our society. Many of our listeners may not be familiar with CMDA position statements, which, in my opinion, over the last six or seven years since I came to CMDA, I believe are like the most valuable resource that has been produced out of CMDA in the last 50 years. We've got over 90 of them. And in the last four or five years, it's not as if you've been doing little chip shop position statements. I mean, you've been doing updates on homosexuality, abortion, transgenderism. We've been talking about healthcare conscience so and several other topics. And, you know, Dr. Hayner, when I first came on the board, there were several positions that came through and I listened in and and really they just kind of sailed through and I thought, oh man, this is amazing. And then along came some of these other topics and it it wasn't so easy. Mm-hmm. So how often in your experience, you've been on this committee a long time, how often is there significant lack of consensus or unanimity among the ethics committee members? And you don't have to divulge any names or any sensitive <laughs> information, but how often is that is that a challenge? Yes. And I, I would say, yeah, I've been on the committee for you know, a couple decades, we've always had really a broad consensus on foundational issues, particularly the foundational issue that the Bible scripture is going to be our final authority in how we tackle these issues. And, you know, I think several decades ago, there was a broad consensus, uh, and still is, on the sanctity of human life, the beginning of human life at conception, the ethics of of end-of-life issues. I mean, there were and there still are issues that were debatable about, even among Christians, about removing life support, feeding tubes and such. But there was still uh, agreement that we're not to actively take an innocent life or deliberately and actively hasten death in in our patients, uh, such as with physician-assisted suicide. Questions revolving around the beginning and end of human life had firm biblical foundations and and mandates about the sanctity of human life that were more or less easy to apply directly to many bioethical issues. Uh, I guess, but since then, or there's been a real explosion of biomedical technologies. And I'll, I'll use a categorization I think is very helpful from Nigel Cameron. He called the old bioethic questions, he called the bioethics one, were centered on when human life begins and ends and took into concepts of, of abortion and physician-assisted suicide. He says, now we've entered uh, what he terms bioethics two, which involves much deeper issues, such as not when does human life begin and end, but what is human life? Mm-hmm. How do we define it? Mm-hmm. And you know, we have all these new reproductive technologies, cloning, alternuclear transfer, gene splicing, artificial genetic chimeras, et cetera, that are creating different questions. And we're even moving beyond this, maybe we could call it bioethics three, to taking our evolutionary trajectory and mortality into our own hands, moving beyond what it means to be human, redefining human not just in terms of our sexuality, which is playing out now, but in terms of everything regarding our physical and genetic makeup. So as as we approach many of these issues, the questions and answers become more and more complex and the moral reasoning becomes more and more complex. Uh, The science becomes more and more complex. And while we are given good scriptural guidance in God's word to us in the Bible, it becomes harder and harder to apply those principles in a straight, forward manner to the complexities that are and moral questions that are arising 
furthermore, ethical reasoning, that, which is the, for us the application of biblical principles to moral issues, can be quite involved as well. So it's becoming more and more common not to have total unanimity on a given topic within CMD as we wrestle with both trying to understand the science as well as the ethical and biblical principles that would apply in areas that the Bible doesn't directly address or did not anticipate. What are the guiding principles that you really want to pull out uh, for our members who are Christ followers when there is controversy over a bioethical issue or some other issue uh, dealing with Scripture where knowledge is not yet available? Yeah, and this is something that we are going to wrestle more and more with, I think, in the coming years. So in the paper, we looked at really three levels of uh, certainty that uh, help us work through these issues and positions that we could take with this. First of all, we have the essential and foundational truths of the Christian faith, the truths revealed to us in God's holy and inerrant word, which is our ultimate authority and faith and practice. So as I said before, all our ethical statements are evaluated in light of and in accordance with the Bible. Any ethical positions or moral course of action that contradicts the Bible, whether in explicit mandates or prohibitions, examples or reasonably derived principles, or in accordance with the biblical narrative as a whole, we have to take a stand against those things. And it's important not to, you know, for the sake of unity or just, or, you know, just getting along that we compromise on the foundations of our biblical faith. But there are limitations in our knowledge. And here I would include both in matters of science and medicine, and also limitations in our ability to understand and interpret the Bibles, sometimes due to our own ignorance or sinful nature or uh, the complexities that go into hermeneutics. In other words, both the book of nature or natural revelation and the book of special revelation require interpretation. Mm -hmm. And our interpretation of both may be fallible. Scripture is not fallible, but our use of it and our interpretation can be. So besides our limitations in understanding science, and you know, science is never the ultimate arbiter of truth as it, it does change, uh, so too good Christian scholars who believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God still sometimes differ in their interpretations. Even though the membership of CMD is broadly evangelical Christian in their understanding of the ultimate authority of the Bible, Still, we see all sorts of denominations and backgrounds represented with differing views on matters ranging from, you know, styles of worship, views of the end times, meaning and modes of the sacraments, the role of women in ministry, and you could go on and on and on. None of these impact the foundational principles of our faith. Now, I hope we would understand that there is ultimately one answer to many of these issues. We're not theological relativists, and it is important to take our differences seriously. And I hope we would strive to hold views consistent with the biblical witness. We'll find out one day in heaven who's right. <laughs> it will be the Calvinists. <laughs> but there may be these... some disagreement on that. But... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I like what Paul said to the Corinthians, Paul, that no doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. And I have a feeling that maybe some on both sides of that issue, Calvinism and Armenians, would say, we've, we obviously have demonstrated God's <laughs> approval. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think a lot of us will be very humble 
humbled <laughs> that day. Yeah, but I mean, not, the point is that none of these views threatened the basic foundations of our faith and our basic unity in Christ um, and the Holy Spirit. So we should certainly expect, given this at times, to, to disagree on, on even specific moral issues, giving uh, the complexity and interplay with, with some very complex uh, science and flesh in these days. And furthermore, I think we, we have to distinguish in our, in our really highly polarized and politicized culture that there is a great difference between understanding a moral position and the particular ways we work out that position in terms of, for instance, public policy and legislation. You know, Christians can agree on a number of issues, such as stewardship of the environment, you know, care for the needy, public health measures, and we can have a number of good common causes with non-believers yet differ in many ways on how best to implement those concerns. And this is more of an area of prudence, wisdom, judgment, not necessarily ethics per se. And sometimes we confuse those issues and we enter into the polarizations of, of our secular society. So third, there are moral dilemmas that are unresolved with our current state of knowledge, where, uh, whereby there may be more than one acceptable course of action. There may be issues where the Bible is silent, and there are many issues that the Bible neither commands nor prohibits, such as certain, you know, we, we think of certain aspects of worship, ethics, and practice. There are areas that even Scripture says are may be legitimately considered disputable. Romans 4, uh, 1-12 is the classic passage. The church in its history has recognized this and, and has termed many of these issues adiaphora, or things indifferent. But the thing that is important to Paul in Romans 4 is that these things should not cause a fellow brother to stumble in their faith on these issues and to not give them opportunities for division. You know, un unfortunately, the history of the Christian church has not been a great witness to this. Hmm. But Paul's admonition is to, to love one another first and to, you know, our, our salvation is in Christ alone and that these issues uh, should not be divisive. So there, there are going to be three categories. There's going to be first category where we need to hold firm to the faith. We need to hold firm to the biblical witness. Second category is, is one of humility, that there are things we just don't understand, and we may need to accept or at least explore our uh, fellow brothers' interpretations or applications of moral principles. And third, there are issues that don't matter, that rely more on prudence, judgment, wisdom, and the situations at the time, and we have to not be divisive over, over these things. And, and adjudicating between these three areas of disagreement was really the purpose of the paper, was to how specifically do we judge which category we fall into when we do have disagreements. Yeah, falling into disagreements about a broad set of issues, and you've been talking about those, uh, Dr. Hayner, but it is so easy. I mean, even the Apostle Paul, we have plenty of examples of how he was in disagreement with Peter, and then, of course, the ultimate was with Barnabas, and just could not—they yes. had to part ways. So here's this inspired apostle writing about unity in several places that you've been talking about from Romans, and yet he demonstrated that it's possible to have just 
terribly disruptive disunity. When I read through this uh, several times as it went through the approval process, I was like, this has such broad applicability. In fact, you could stop after disagreement among Christians, end of story, because <laughs> I think the paper addresses a broad set of, of disagreements so filled with Scripture. Half of the paper is Scriptures. It's a great compendium from the Old and New Testament. Uh, so I, I think as a theologian, you did a fantastic job, I think, of collecting, you and the committee, the Scriptures that deal with disunity. How have your own views on a bioethical issue uh, morphed or evolved uh, through your, your training, your extensive training, uh, as well as your time on the Ethics Committee as you interact and, and hear differing views from other Christian bioethicists? You know, I would say that you know, my views haven't changed on any real foundational issues in Christian ethics, but certainly listening you know to the wisdom and knowledge of of these you know these wonderful colleagues that we that I have on the ethics commission have had in the past you know as well as you know listening and, and reading some brilliant and learned christian ethicists that the church has been blessed with i've learned to be humble enough and loving enough to sometimes look at things from a different perspective and certainly have learned to examine closely you know my my own beliefs and and um opinions in these and and change my approach on several issues. And, and I think this is very important, you know, no matter what level of, of education or, or, you know, learning that you develop to, to also develop that humility to continue to evaluate your own points of view, to continue to listen to other people and to learn to articulate the arguments from a side that you may disagree with and to learn learn from them. Of course, I did my doctoral work on Jonathan Edwards, who was a brilliant, brilliant mind. But when he entered into a polemical discussion with an opponent, his first objective was to define the terms and then repeat the his opponent's arguments better than his opponent could. <laughs> he then looked for loopholes in his opponent's argument and fixed them. In other words, shored up his opponent's arguments. And then he would proceed to, in most cases, totally demolish them. <laughs> but the, the important thing was he learned to understand another perspective, learn from it, before he took on the challenge of addressing it. You know, one of, one of the fun learning experiences that, uh, and we tend to do this in graduate school too, as you as debate, and we take opposite sides of issues. And it was I did a, a for a, a pro life organization, we did a mock debate to demonstrate how to argue points of view. And I volunteered to take the pro abortion side of the debate which was very interesting. I made sure I had a little placard in front of my podium that says, I am not <laughs> pro-abortion, I'm pro-life. Uh, just make sure that they knew, knew what the game was. But I presented as strong an argument as I could for it. And it was, uh, people were a little nervous about where I was going with it all, but <laughs> I learned from it. I learned from my opponents uh, their concerns, their issues, what was behind their arguments, which helped us all then address the issue. 
in a more um, reasoned manner. So uh, that can be, you know, very helpful. Well, Paul, why we don't have enough time to take a deep dive on any particular issue, there is one that is increasingly on the minds of just about every thoughtful Christian in healthcare and in other areas as well, and that uh, issue is artificial intelligence, specifically how it involves patient care. So how would you apply the principles in our new CMDA position statement on disagreement in bioethics to concerns in our world today about artificial intelligence? Wow, that's a <laughs> <laughs> in in three minutes or well, less. Let me answer Dr. that in about like two three sentences. Um, <laughs> no, it's kind of interesting. There was just an article that came out about California patients suing Sigma Health for using artificial intelligence to evaluate uh, insurance claims and hmm. um, automatically denying care through an algorithm that took you know one and a half seconds per claim to speed up the process. And so there's now a lot of contentions about using AI for evaluation of healthcare claims. Hmm. So, I mean, this is with us right now in a whole broad variety of, of, um, uh, of areas. And I, I'll say right up front, you know, I'm not a real expert in the ethical implications of artificial intelligence technology in medicine. But then again, I don't think anyone is right now. Mm-hmm. You know, and of course, this involves a much larger discussion. But the real problem with new areas like AI is that we just don't know what the ethical questions will be until they're implemented. For instance, we never really understood all the implications of something like the electronic medical record, which, you know, promised to be this great time and work saving piece of information technology for all of healthcare. Yet, look how much it changed the way we practiced in ways we didn't anticipate the way we interact with our patients and all the new ethical and legal issues it has raised that we did not anticipate. And I think this is true with with all technologies. There's a great story, it's in the the Phaedrus, the dialogue of uh, the Greek philosopher Plato, who mentions in Greek uh, mythology, the deity Thuth or Thoth, who is the god of learning and Thuth was said to be the inventor of writing, hieroglyphs. And Plato uses the myth of Thuth to demonstrate that writing leads to laziness and forgetfulness. And in the story, Thuth remarks to King Thamu of Egypt that writing is a wonderful substitute for memory. He touts this, this new technology as, as, a, as, as a great boon for learning. Well, the wise King Thamu remarks that it is a remedy for reminding, not remembering, mm-hmm. with the appearance, but not the reality of wisdom. He said, future generations will hear much without being properly taught and will appear wise, but not be so. So, you know, we should do well to take a lesson from Plato's wisdom. You know, will AI be a substitute for wisdom, understanding, and judgment and experience in healthcare? Will it displace, you know, the, you know, what uh, Michael Polanyi, the, the philosopher of science called, you know, tacit knowledge, the human element of knowledge? And, you know, what will the, the ethical and moral implications of that be? And what further issues will be raised that we can't right now foretell or even imagine? So, 
as we work through these areas in the near future, you know, Christian physicians, we, we need to, to work humbly, lovingly, and courageously together, uh, especially with those we disagree with, and especially with, with others, as we're all trying to learn, uh, anticipate, and, and deal with these complex issues. Well, for our listeners, we've been talking with Dr. Paul Hayner, a member of our Ethics Committee, and I want to encourage you, uh, if you're listening, uh, to go sometime to cmda.org slash ethics, and there you will find a long, long list of position statements. It's hard to think of anything significant within healthcare, Dr. Hayner and Dr. Barrels, that wouldn't be on that list of, uh, of statements. And, and, and also, if you're listening, as we've I've mentioned several times that this is broad applicability. I, I think it's very easy to read, and half of these three or four pages of this position statement are a list of scriptures. And I, and I want to close our, our discussion today with one of those, coming from my favorite little epistle, which happens to be Paul's last uh, that he wrote uh, from, from jail, probably, to his Padawan, uh, Timothy a great little mentoring manual, and that's uh, 2 Timothy 2, 23, verses 25, and Paul tells Timothy, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because they produce quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, and not resentful. And and you refer to this in the position, those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they'll escape from the trap of the devil who's taken them captive to do his will. So download the position statement, uh, get online there, cmda.org slash ethics, and I think you'll find it useful. You know, hey, maybe you'll never come across any disagreements in, in your career or in your church, but I think this is really handy to share with your pastor, elder board, and uh, Sunday school class, if, if you will, because it's, it's very powerful. Uh, Dr. Hayner, thanks for joining us today, and thanks for the investment in this very powerful, necessary, and our board, Ethics Committee, House, uh, we're going to be using this in the future, I have a feeling. Great. Well, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure and, and fun time. I want you to know that CMDA's Ethics Committee is such an important part of our mission here at CMDA because they're the experts and several of them, just like Paul, have theological training. These experts, they help guide us as we seek to fulfill our mission of educating, encouraging, and equipping healthcare professionals to glorify God. For more than 30 years now, this committee has been called upon to craft our position statements as an organization on today's bioethical issues. If you haven't already checked out CMDA's ethics statements, I think now is the time to do so. These statements are designed to provide you with biblical, ethical, social, and scientific understanding of a variety of bioethical issues through concise statements, and they're articulated in a compassionate and caring manner. You know, CMDA's Ethics Committee spends countless hours researching and crafting these statements because we place so much value on providing these as resources for our members and supporters and Christians across healthcare. Included in the long list of statements are statements specifically addressing transgender identification and homosexuality, conscience rights, and many more. These statements are available 
to you at cmda.org slash ethics. This newest statement that we discussed today with Dr. Jeff Barrows and Dr. Paul Hayner is also available for you in the fall 2023 edition of CMDA Today, which is our quarterly magazine. You can find this statement and much more in our recent magazine by going to cmda.org slash cmda today. As Christians, we are called to speak truth into ethical issues and courageously stand up for what's morally right according to our beliefs. But in order to engage others in these discussions with grace and kindness, first we need to arm ourselves with knowledge and understanding of each of these topics. Bridging the Gap, where medical science and church meet, is a small group study developed by expert healthcare professionals. The curriculum is designed to ask difficult, thought-provoking questions as we seek the truth found in God's Word about the ethical issues facing Christians today. Topics include addictions, beginning of life, end of life, gender identity, right of conscience, and sexuality. For more information and to download this free curriculum, visit cmda.org slash bridging the gap. Thank you, Jamie, for putting that curriculum on our listeners' radar. And listener, if you're interested in more bioethics topics, you should check out CMDA's blog, which we call The Point. It's a weekly blog and shares the latest perspectives and opinions on today's important healthcare topics. Our blog contributors focus on issues like gender identification, assisted suicide, stem cell research, and many other topics. For more information, just visit cmda.org blog. And for a variety of additional resources on bioethical topics, check out our new CMDA bookstore. And one great book that you'll find there is entitled, Why the Church Needs Bioethics, a guide to wise engagement with life's challenges. And it's written by John F. Kilner, who's from Trinity University and the Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity. This book equips students, church and lay leaders, and people in healthcare-related fields with the knowledge to make faithful bioethical decisions and to help foster a world where human beings are shown respect as people created in the image of God. You can order your copy online today at cmda.org slash bookstore. Earlier this year, Mr. Matthew Epinet from the Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity at Trinity International University, he joined me on the podcast. And today's interview with Dr. Hayner reminded me about the importance of that program at Trinity. It offers a master's in bioethics. For you as a listener, if you're not familiar with Trinity's bioethics program, I encourage you to check it out. Several of our CMDA members have graduated from this program, and that includes Dr. Jeff Barrows, who you heard with me on this week's program, and also our CEO Emeritus, Dr. David Stevens. Through this program, you get to connect with students from all over the world, as nearly the entire program can be completed virtually. It's a great foundational program for those of us who are interested in bioethical issues, so I highly recommend it to you. 
You can find out more information about the Master's in Bioethics program with Trinity International University by going to tiu.edu slash bioethics. Or you can also find that link in our show notes today. I am very excited about next week's episode because I'll be joined by Professor J.P. Moreland, who is the Distinguished Professor of Philosophy at Talbot School of Theology at Biola University in California, and he was named one of the 50 most influential living philosophers in our world today. He joined me and CMDA member Dr. Corey Wilson, who studied at Talbot under Professor Moreland for a discussion about the human soul. So be sure to listen in for that conversation next week. As always, if you want to suggest a future guest for our podcast, you can just email us at cmdamatters at cmda.org. And if you like our podcast, would you please just take a few seconds and give us a five-star rating and share us on your favorite social media platform. In closing, I want to point you to a scripture verse that the Ethics Committee included in that new statement we've been discussing today, and it's from Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5, in which Paul says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. There's no question, friends, that we can and often do disagree on a variety of issues, even as brothers and sisters seriously following Christ. But what we must resist and renounce, and sometimes even repent of, is the polarization that we see within our society and even the church, as Paul Hainer discussed with us today. Because we are rooted in God's truth we can live together in unity despite our differences. As a result, we have so many individual members within CMDA who are each fulfilling their calling and fulfilling their function as the body of Christ. We are all working together to bring the hope and healing of Christ to our world. That's what matters to CMDA, and CMDA matters. We'll see you next week with J.P. Moreland, God willing. This podcast has been a production of the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. The opinions expressed by guests on this podcast are not necessarily endorsed by the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. CMDA is a nonpartisan organization that does not endorse political parties or candidates for public office. The views expressed on this podcast reflect judgments regarding principles and values held by CMDA and its members and are not intended to imply endorsement of any political party or candidate.